You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to prophecies of Zephaniah. We read first from chapter 1 of Zephaniah and then chapter 3. Zephaniah chapter 1, we'll read the verses 14 through 18 and then we'll turn to chapter 3. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. Listen, the cry on the day of the Lord will be bitter. The shouting of the warrior there, that day will be a day of wrath, the day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towers. I will bring distress on the people and they will walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entails like filth. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole world will be consumed, for he will make a sudden end of all who live in the earth. And then if you would turn to chapter 3, we'll pick up reading again at verse 9. I'll read through to the end of the book. Then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve Him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, my scattered people, will bring me offerings. On that day you will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me, because I will remove from this city those who rejoice in their pride. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill. But I will leave within you the meek and humble, who trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong. They will speak no lies, nor will deceit be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Sorrows for the appointed feasts I will remove from you. They are a burden and a reproach to you. At that time I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame and gather those who have been scattered. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they were put to shame. At that time I will gather you. At that time I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. Our text this morning comes from what we just read together from Zephaniah 3, the verses 14 through 17. Let's read that again. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. 
Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Advent season, the month or so leading up to the time of Christmas, is the time that the church, with the celebration of Christ's first coming in view, looks ahead, looks forward to his second coming and considers our calling in that time. In Advent, we look at the past, what Jesus Christ has done. We look at the present, what he continues to do. And we look at the future work of our Lord Jesus Christ, what he will bring to fulfillment on that great and final day. Indeed, the past is when Christ came into this world. That's Christmas. And he won salvation for us. The present is that Christ continues his kingdom building work in us and among us. And the future is when Christ's work will be complete and he will come again in glory with hosts of powerful angels on the last day. Our text this morning is fitting because it has in mind this threefold perspective on Christ's work when it talks about the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord can refer only to the day of Christ's return, and that's primarily what it refers to. But we should realize that it, it also refers to Christ's time on earth, and indeed the whole time in between the days that we now live in. You see, that the Old Testament prophets often spoke about the day of the Lord in terms of many different events. They would speak of judgment, And they would speak of joy. They would speak of peace. And they would speak of war. Because they didn't distinguish between the times precisely. Just like when you look out on the mountains here in BC, you can't distinguish between the different ranges of mountains. They all sort of look the same. So it is with the prophets looking at the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, both in the past present, and future, and speaking of it all as if it's one thing. And so when we hear Zephaniah exhort God's people to rejoice in his saving work and have no fear because of what he's done, then it is for us an Advent message. It's a message of the day of the Lord. It's grounded in the past. It has a reality in the present And it looks forward to the future, to what our Lord will most certainly do for us. And so I preach the word of God to you this morning under this theme, that the day of the Lord brings all joy and no fear for those who are in Christ. The day of the Lord brings all joy and no fear for those who are in Christ. Because the Lord has removed your judgment, it's the past, Because he resides among you, even now, in the present. And because, as our text says, he will rejoice over you. It's the future. He has removed your judgment. 
He resides among you, and He will rejoice over you. So first then, let's consider how this day of the Lord brings all joy and no fear for those who are in Christ, because He has removed our judgment. Indeed, the the idea of the Advent season always has been that with the coming of Christmas coming soon, we look forward to the second coming of Christ. Christ. Unfortunately, however, this fact has been lost on a lot of people, especially in our time. Of course, the majority of people in our post-Christian era don't even want to look at the first coming of Christ. They have no idea about the past, and so they are confused about the present, and they have no direction for the future. They aren't interested in the first coming of Christ, And so they're really not focused at all on the second coming of Christ. But even among those who would want to bring Christ back into Christmas, many times we remain firmly and exclusively focused on the first coming of Jesus Christ. And then, unfortunately, along with this comes a lot of sentimentality. Speaking about Bethlehem on a cold winter's night or about the sweet baby Jesus in the manger. Now, I'm not speaking against sentimentality as such. There's nothing wrong with roasting chestnuts on an open fire and talking about Jack Frost nipping at your nose. But we have to realize that that sentimentality is not what the Bible teaches about Christmas, about what the Bible teaches about what the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to do. Our text this morning in Zephaniah 3 gives us a much more biblical picture on Christmas. And that is that Jesus Christ came into this world. He was born. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. But He came into this world to take away God's judgment and to turn back our enemies. You see, that message doesn't sell well in the malls in December. But that is a message that is full of hope and comfort and much joy for us, God's people. Because indeed, we are still talking about joy. We're not leaving that behind. Just look at what it says in verse 14 of Zephaniah. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter of Jerusalem. Joy is a huge part of Christmas. But this joy is not found in reflecting on how pure and innocent our Lord Jesus was sitting in that manger. But the joy is found in what the eternal Son of God came into this world to do. And what was that? Well, the prophet Zephaniah spoke about it. First, in verse 15, He makes clear that the first reason for great rejoicing is that God has taken away our punishment. He has removed the judgment that hung over God's people. You see, this book of Zephaniah is all about the day of the Lord. That's the theme that is recurring all throughout the book. The great day of the Lord when God's judgment is going to be realized. And so most of his prophecy is taken up with judgments and warnings against the people of God, much like we saw in the prophet Amos. We read about that in the verses 14 through 18 of chapter 1. God's fierce judgment 
hung over the people of God. But then all of a sudden, as we're reading through this book, we come to chapter 3, verse 9, and then there's a sudden change of tone. From judgment to blessing and joy and rejoicing. Well, why this sudden change? Well, it's all grounded in the inauguration of the day of the Lord. When the day of the Lord got started. That is, it's all grounded in what the Lord Jesus Christ did while He lived on this earth. What He came into the world to do. As Simeon said, when he saw the baby Jesus in the temple, he said, this child is destined to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul as well. Jesus Christ came to bring the day of the Lord. But because of his atoning death and resurrection, this day is also for God's people. As Simeon goes on to say, it will be a day of salvation for which you have prepared in the sight of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Christ Jesus came into this world to seek and to save the lost, to take away the judgment of the people by paying the price for their sins. And so He has taken away the judgment that stood against us. And the other thing that was accomplished by Christ when He came to this world is that He turned back our enemies, as Zephaniah also says in verse 15. Now, enemies have always existed for God's people. Throughout their history, as we know as well, there were always enemies for God's people. For the unrighteous, enemies were vehicles of God's judgment. Just think of how God referred to Assyria, that the nation that came and conquered Israel, God referred to them as the rod of my wrath. He used them to punish His people. But enemies also existed for the righteous, those who trusted in God. Enemies threatened their security and blessings that God had given to them. Think of David's many cries in the Psalms against his enemies. Psalm 59, for example. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. Zephaniah prophesies that in Christmas, the Savior is going to come into the world who's going to drive away the enemies of God so that he's going to, res- he's going to secure the blessings for God's people. Because of what Christ came to do, because he was born into this world, because he was faithful in all that gave him to, that God gave him to do until the very end, giving up his life for us. He has secured God's blessing for us. He's driven away those enemies so that they cannot attack what's most precious to us. Our salvation. Our eternal life. And not even Satan can take away what our Lord Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross for us. And when we're united with Him, then nothing can ever be taken from us. Because He has secured it for us. Because He drives away our enemies. So the reason for the great joy, the rejoicing, the singing, the gladness, the shouting, 
is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We rejoice because Christ has taken away the most fearful thing imaginable to us. The just judgment of our Heavenly Father. You hear the opposition there between joy and fear. We rejoice because we have no fear. I think that biblically speaking, you could make the case for saying that joy is in fact the opposite of fear, or that fear is the opposite of joy. The joy of our salvation is found in knowing that God, who is for us and not against us, has taken away our fear. He drives our enemies away. He has removed our judgments. When we're justified by faith in Christ, then it is, as Romans 8 says, if God is on our side, against us shall be none. The past tense of Christ's coming, the past reality of Christ's coming, is that He has taken away the judgment of God against us. But as we keep looking into our text, we'll see that this work of Christ is not only cause for rejoicing in itself, but it gives way to more praise and more rejoicing because God can dwell among us. Because God can dwell among us. Because God resides in our midst. Zephaniah brings up this phrase twice in our text about God being with us. First, in the second half of verse 15, the Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. And then also again in verse 17, the Lord is with you. He is mighty to save. And there's two senses, I think, that this expression can have, the Lord is with you, that that come together nicely. The first is that God is, is with you, that God is near you. It's close to you. Of course, the opposite would be that God is distant from you, that He's apart from you. And indeed, that would be a very frightening and fearful thing if we didn't have the comfort that God was with us, but rather that He stood far from us. We would have much fear and anxiety. But God says, I am with you. Now the other one is, God says, or God is within us. That's more precisely actually what the text says. That God is within you. That God is intimately connected and lives among His people in a way that is hard to describe. God lives not only in the church, but among the church. In the hearts of the people in the church. The emphasis is on the activity of God within His, among His people. Especially in terms of protection. Think of what Psalm 48, which we sang together before the sermon, says, God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. God's presence among his people is safety for them. Or think of Deuteronomy 7, verse 21, where Moses says, Do not be terrified by them, by your enemies, for the Lord, your God, who is among you, is a great and awesome God. When God is among us, then we are secure. So bringing these two together, we get a sense of God's nearness, especially in terms of protection for His people. Because God, the just judge, has found a way to remove that judgment, to drive away the enemies, He's able to live among His people, to be present with them, 
And so to provide the protection and security that they need. This idea bears out when we look at who it is that lives among us. In verse 15, Zephaniah says that the Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. That's significant. And in verse 17, he says, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. That's the God who lives with you. The point is that this protection is sure because it's provided by God himself. He is the King of Israel. Now, it's hard for us to to understand this in our modern political situation, but for the people in Israel, their security was firmly fixed to who their king was. If they had a good king like Solomon in his early years, then they could live in complete security and be confident of complete protection because they had a good king. A good king provided good protection for his people. But if they lived during the time of, say, Ahaziah, the king of Judah, well, they had no protection during those times. They lived in constant fear and anxiety because their king was totally inept. Who your king was determined how safe and protected you were. Well, the Lord your God is king. And he is mighty to save. He's powerful enough to deliver you from the enemies that stand against you. He's powerful enough to conquer Satan. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. When you realize that your king is the king of kings, the Lord Almighty, the king of Israel who's mighty to save, then you have no reason to fear. Consider that for a moment. We're often filled with fears, anxieties, doubts. We need to remember who our King is. That He is Almighty, that He is God over all, and that He is with us. He is among us, and He protects us. Our God, our King, is with us. He lives among us. Is the church not the temple of God? Well, this reality is only possible because God has removed our punishment. Because Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. Because He's removed our judgment and turned our enemies back. And now, in this time between His first and second coming, He lives with us as a complete guarantee of our security. He gives His Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing us of the inheritance that we will have at the end. He protects us against all our enemies and from the fears and doubts and anxieties that they cause in our lives. And so, we realize the protection we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. Well then, How can we not listen to Zephaniah and rejoice, O daughter of Zion? Be glad. Sing for joy. We have this wonderful promise that God lives with us. He protects us. How can we not rejoice? Rejoice the Lord is King. Your Lord and King adore. But here the emphasis is is on rejoice, but it's on that flip side of rejoice. Don't fear. That's what Zephaniah says to the people of God. Don't fear. 
Don't fear because the victorious Jesus Christ is with you. Because the great King is among you. Now we have to realize something about this command to not fear or else we'll misunderstand it. Perhaps you might even feel burdened by it. The point is, don't fear. As if, if you fear you're a terrible person, you need to stop doing that. That's not at all the way that this is written. Rather, it's a command given to people who are prone to fear. And the Lord knows that. It's like a mother telling her scared child in the middle of the night not to be afraid. Don't fear. Don't fear. It's not a rebuke. It's a word of comfort. And this word of comfort is is also meant to be a word of encouragement to us. Don't let your hands hang limp. That's what Zephaniah says in verse 16. What's this talking about? Well, he's talking about, he wouldn't have used these words, but the, the physiological impact of fear. You know, the deer in the headlights, the frozen stance, the feeling powerless to do anything, or maybe the more gnawing, persistent feeling of anxiety and depression that makes you feel like your hands are, are frozen, like they can't move, like you can't do anything. They just hang at your side, limp. Have you experienced this when you're troubled by fears and anxieties so that you feel powerless to move? You feel unproductive, unmotivated, useless. You feel paralyzed. Why? Well, I would argue that part of the reason is because of fear. Because you don't feel security. Because you don't have the confidence that you need, either because there's some event in your life that's looming large and and fearful for you, or because you fear the risk of what you're about to do, or because you're afraid that you aren't strong enough or smart enough or good enough to succeed. Well, God says, don't be afraid. Not, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't let your doubts, don't let those nagging fears get the best of you. Don't let your limitations be your king. Let Jesus Christ be your king. Make Him your king. He lives with you. He lives in the church in this time in between His first and second coming. He lives among us and He empowers His church to do His will. When we realize the security that we have in Jesus Christ, then our paralyzed arms become empowered for action. Don't let your hang, your hands hang limp. Get them busy. Into what? Well, look at verse, chapter 3, verse 9. This is where that dramatic change comes. And God says, I will purify the lips of the peoples that, so that, all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve Him shoulder to shoulder. He says, get your hands busy in prayer and service. As Kelvin would have said, ora et labora. 
We're not the people of frozen hands. We're the people whose hands have been freed. We're the people who have been powered to call in the name of our God when we're afraid, when we have doubts. We have a king who has repeatedly shown his power and goodwill to us. And so we have every reason to bring our needs, our concerns, our worries, our fears, our anxieties to him. Our hands are freed to pray. And our hands are also freed to serve. When we know what God has done, when we understand what God is doing, when we trust in what God will do, then we're guaranteed the victory. And so our hands can serve with confidence and with purpose in all that the Lord has given us to do. The Lord is with you. You're fighting on the winning team. Your enemies are temporal. But your victory is eternal. And you have complete security because of Jesus Christ. Because God resides among you. But God not only resides among us, but we get this beautiful picture in verse 17 of our text. God will rejoice over us. If the realization that God is with us is a powerful motivation for fearless prayer and, and service, then what about the realization that God rejoices over us? If God with you moves you into action and prayer and service, then God rejoices over you must move us into worship. Let's take a look at those last few lines of verse 17 for a moment and reflect on their content because they describe an absolutely incredible reality. That of God delighting in us, of, of quieting us with his love, of rejoicing over us with singing. We hear constantly about worship. We think about these things a lot about joy, about singing, how we should do it, what should we sing, what sort of state of mind. But have you ever considered not your joy in God, but in God's joy in you? If the reality that God is with you offers you courage in the face of your fears, then what will the reality that God sings over you to you. Now, for the new parents in our midst, I probably don't even have to explain this metaphor for you because you already realize it. It's a metaphor in verse 17 of a father with his child. Now, the, the imagery there is enough to make us realize that, but we could also look at verse 14, the words that Zephaniah has there, and as one modern translation puts it, not daughter of Zion, but you could also translate that, sing, O daughter Zion. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. It's God the Father speaking to his daughter. And so here we have that same imagery in verse 17. It's the image of a father holding his little child in his arms or on his lap. A child that's prone to fears and anxieties, to doubts and worries. 
It's a child that gets so scared and distraught at everything that's going on in her life. A a child that gets caught up in the things that are going on. A child that needs comfort. Needs reassurance. Well, because of the powerful work of Jesus Christ, and because Jesus Christ lives in our hearts, God can pick up this child with great delight and quiet those anxieties and fears. Indeed, this picture becomes even more beautiful when we consider who this child is. It's a child that often fails, often falls. It's a child whose arms are often paralyzed at its side. It's a child that will completely forget about its father at times. It's a child that will refuse its father's love. That child is me. That child is you. But when things go bad and this child is throwing a tantrum, God scoops it up in its arms and He quiets you with His love. And now consider who that parent is. Just think about this. Can you imagine the sound of God singing over you? Of God singing love songs to you? Of God quieting you with His love? How beautiful is that? God, the Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth, the Provider, the Covenant God, the three times Holy, Holy, Holy God, singing songs of rejoicing over you. How can this be? Well, we know, don't we? It's because of Christmas. It's because of what Jesus Christ came into this world to do. It's because He took away our punishment. And He covered us with the shield of His righteousness, which our enemies can never get past. It's because when God looks at us, He doesn't see that weak child. He doesn't see the sinful part of our nature that still clings to us. But He sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, His Son. He rejoices in Christ in us. He quiets us with His Holy Spirit in our hearts. He takes great delight in the finished work of Jesus Christ that was accomplished for us and which is ours by faith in Him. In this time of Advent, in this time leading up to Christmas, spend time rejoicing. And when those fears and doubts and worries creep up to you, don't fear, but rejoice in what God has done for you, what He's doing in you, and what He will do for you. But also take some time to consider God rejoicing over you, God delighting in you, our Father quieting you with His love. And then that will quiet your soul. And then God will rejoice over you all the more.
because of what his son has done with you. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.